Our scripture reading this morning comes from the 15th chapter of John, and we've been doing this series where we're looking at the I Am statements together, these, uh, these, uh, these seven statements uh, by Jesus where uh, he's, he's telling the people around him um, exactly who he is and, and what he's about. And, uh, and, and, and it's usually uh, some, kind of, uh, some kind of metaphor uh, uh, just is grabbed from scripture. And he always begins the statement, I am. And so, uh, and so uh, this, this morning, uh, we've reached the final of these seven I am statements. I am the true vine. Hear now the word of our Lord. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so whatever you ask in the name, in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. It was Jesus' last night on earth. His last gathering with his disciples. His last real moment of peace before he went on to endure all the things that he would endure. He had unity on his mind. He had unity 
on his mind. See, the Gospel of John, uh, as we've been talking about in our Bible study, is different than the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels we call the Synoptic Gospels. And the reason we call them the Synoptic Gospels is synoptic is a fancy word that means looks the same, right? Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all kind of look the same. They tell the same story kind of in the same order, you know, uh, maybe different details here or there, but they look the same. And then John has its own way of doing things. And in the Gospel of John, what we find is rather than uh, worrying about telling the whole story and getting the whole timeline just right, uh, John has chosen um, just a couple of episodes in the life of Jesus to really focus in on these episodes and really uh, uh, drill down on all that was said and taught during these moments. And so uh, if, if you think of the other Gospels sort of as like a, a widescreen panoramic sort of lens, uh, 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 John uh, takes a narrower tiger lens, a close-up lens. The Last Supper is a perfect example. See, uh, the Last Supper and the Synoptic Gospels last maybe seven or eight verses. In the Gospel of John, it takes about five chapters to cover all of the things that Jesus did and said on his last night with his disciples. And what we see in the Gospel of John is that, uh, that during this last gathering with his disciples, he's got, he, he's got this, this, this one thing top of mind for him. That's unity. That's unity. It begins with, uh, with, with, even before the supper begins, when he washes his disciples' feet as an example to them of how they ought to serve each other, how, how, how each one must humble themselves before the other to preserve their unity. And then all through that supper, he, he talks to them in various images about what it means to be united, how, how they are to remain in him as he remains in his father, and, and, and that their closeness to one another and their closeness to him has something to do with his closeness to the father. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. The, the words he uses is, is the advocate. You're going to have this advocate that's going to come and is, is, is going to direct you and give you the words to say and help you through trial and persecution, but keep you united. And then, when the supper's over and he goes off to pray by himself, in John's gospel, uh, uh, we get the long version of the prayer. And in that prayer, he's praying for his disciples' unity. He says, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. It's his last night on earth. And what's on his mind? Unity. Unity has been on my mind an awful lot these past couple of weeks. You know, I've, I, 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 I've, I've tried through all of, this, uh, all of this Methodist mess we're going through to just kind of uh, 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 steer a steady middle course all throughout everything. 
tried to say everyone, don't look over there, don't look over there. Let's just keep our eyes on the mission. But I know the rumblings around us are getting louder and louder, aren't they? We're hearing from friends who, are, who, are, who belong to other Methodist congregations and their congregations are disaffiliating. And, and, and I know the talk and the chatter is all around. And I've been thinking in the midst of this about unity and what it means for us as Christians and as United Methodists. I've been thinking about unity because I've been getting ready for, for annual conference. An annual conference that this year um, is going to be a little bit of a smaller gathering because of churches that have disaffiliated and left the denomination. So the annual conference is this, this annual gathering of, of Methodists from, from, from the Holston Conference. And, uh, and there's, there's a, a, a delegate uh, to, to match every, uh, every clergy person. And, and we come together and, uh, and we, we pass a budget, but we also worship together and, uh, and pray for each other and, uh, and, and, and lay hands on those that are being ordained and, uh, and, and, and say goodbye to those that, that have joined the church triumphant over the year. And, and it's just, a, 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 I think, a joyous time of coming together. But I was thinking about my plans for annual conference, and I realized that there's a group of people that I always meet with on Monday nights around the table, and we always share a meal together. And I realized that of that whole group, there's only two of us that are going to be at annual conference this year. And I was thinking about that empty table. It made my heart sad. I've been thinking a lot about unity. Listen, I was raised United Methodist. Like, I probably had a cross and flame, like, uh, like in my mobile above my, uh, above my head when I was a baby. Um, uh, when, when I was real little, I, I lived in the United Methodist Children's Home, not because I, I, I was a foster kid, but because my parents were house parents. And then uh, my, uh, my, my, my dad felt a call into the ministry, and he became a pastor in the United Methodist Church. And so... We went around Kentucky, different Methodist churches. I met my wife at a Methodist college. I've worked in the United Methodist Church first as a youth pastor and now as a pastor my entire adult life. And so what I'm telling you is I ain't going anywhere because I don't know anything else. I'm not going to be rung off out of my denomination. But it's a sad moment for me to see people I love parting ways, sharpened against one another. I've been thinking about unity, what it means, and if it's possible. I was thinking about uh, this old um, uh, Peanuts cartoon, you know, Charlie Brown? And, uh, and, and the cartoon, um, it's Linus and Lucy's house. And Linus is watching TV. And, uh, and Lucy comes in and, and demands that Linus change the channel. And Linus says, well, why should I? And Lucy says, well, I'll give you five reasons, right? <laughs> On their own, they're not much. But when I pull them together, they're a force to be reckoned with, she says. 
And then Langus looks at his own hand and says, why can't you guys organize together like that? <laughs> and I often think about that way about my own church. Why can't you guys organize together like that? When I think of, uh, of that first generation of Christians, the early church that, 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 uh, that united in Christ uh, went out into the world and uh, boldly proclaimed the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit, all the places they went and all the things that they did. And I look around and say, why can't you all organize together like that? But I think when we look back with rose-colored glasses, we forget that it's always been a fragile fellowship. See, I think one of the reasons that, that, that Jesus had unity on his brain that night is that he understood it could all blow apart in a minute. Because just around that table, just uh, those 12 or so people that, that called themselves disciples, there was a lot of division. There was a lot of differences of opinion. You had at that table a zealot, a Sicari no less, a, 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 a man named Simon the Zealot, right? Being a zealot was, was, was such a part of his identity that they called him the Zealot, right? That'd be like Simon the Democrat, right? That, that's like, it's such a part of his identity that that's what they call him. You know what the zealots believed? They believed that, that anyone that helped the Romans, that helped who they considered to be the oppressors, ought to be murdered and made an example of. They were called the Sicarii because of, because of well, Sicarii is a word for dagger because of the daggers that they, that they carried uh, with them in the marketplaces and carried out assassinations with. Simon the Zealot was across the table from Matthew, the tax collector, the one who had made money hand over fist, betraying his own people to the Roman government. Outside of Jesus, they had nothing to talk about. Nothing in common. You had people around that table that, that were from, from Jerusalem, and you had people around that table that were from Galilee. And we talked about this a little bit in Bible study. Uh, 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 the Jerusalemites thought that they were, were the true Jews, that they were the real deal. That all those people uh, up there in Galilee might as well be Samaritans. Who knows what they actually believe and what they actually practice. And so the people in Jerusalem were really, really focused on, on making a sacrifices in the temple. And that was the way to be close to God. And, and, and the people up in the Galilee region made a sacrifice maybe once a year, but they hung out in synagogues and, uh, and, and sang and, and read scripture. And that was how they were close to God. It was a deep theological divide. Pharisees and Sadducees. Whose side were you on? What party were you a part of? And Jesus' fragile gathering had both. You had, uh, you had um, uh, uh, women there with bad reputations. And you had men there who renounced 
any kind of pleasure and any kind of sin to go follow John the Baptist. What did they have to talk about and agree upon? Their differences were cultural, theological, and political. And Jesus knew that in his absence, it could all blow apart. So that last night, he wasn't fixed on the cross. He wasn't, oh gosh, you need to know about the cross and what that means. He was fixated on unity. How are you going to keep it together in my absence? And so he reminds them of something very important. He reminds them of the one thing they all have in common. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. In other words, Jesus is saying of himself, I am the thing that holds all of us together. He says, apart from me, you're, you're, you're dried up and withered, you know, uh, fit to be, fit, fit to be uh, pit, uh, uh, pitched into the trash and burned because you have no life in you. But connected to me, you have life. And connected in me, you are connected to each other. See, Jesus is reminding the disciples of the thing that they all have in common, the thing that they can all agree upon. Jesus. Now, if we had a, a, you know, a McLaughlin group in here and, uh, and, and we just started pitching out issues, I'm sure we could find ourselves a, a, a lot of opinions in here and some diverse ones too, probably. But we also all have something in common, and that's Jesus. Jesus has pulled us together, and Jesus sustains us and gives us life, even in the midst of our differences. Jesus is divine. We are the branches put here to bear fruit in the world. And the disciples sitting around that table, each of them had a Jesus story. You know, maybe they were the ones that were wandering aimless and lost and didn't, aimless in life and didn't know what their purpose was. And Jesus showed up at the boat and said, drop your nets, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will give you a purpose and a reason to be on this earth. Or maybe they were the ones sitting at the table collecting money, uh, making themselves rich off the oppression of others. And then Jesus showed up one day and said, come, follow me. Leave it all behind. Or maybe they were the one that had, had, had all those voices screaming in their head, the, 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 those demons tormenting them. And Jesus shows up one day and says, be gone, leave her. And now she can think and live and pray and be. They all came from different places, but they had a similar story. I was one way, and then Jesus came into my life, and now I'm another way. 
and all of us who are gathered here, I hope, have a story like that that unites us. You know, uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to take this, uh, the, this trip to eastern Kentucky. Uh, we're going to go with UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief. And UMCOR is uh, one of the best disaster uh, relief organizations out there. And the reason they're so great is because uh, whenever someone gives money to UMCOR, 100% of the money they give to UMCOR goes to the affected area. Because all of the rest of everything, their overhead, their, uh, their, their marketing, all of that, uh, all of that's uh, paid every week by the offerings of United Methodists all around the world. And so uh, when a disaster happens, um, uh, UMCOR is ready to go. They're the first people to show up and the last people to leave. And right now in eastern Kentucky, Right as the, as the media spotlights have, have 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 turned to other disasters and and, and other organizations are 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 are, are going there and, and as well they should. UMCOR is still in Kentucky rebuilding, still keeping things going, and so we're going to join them in the work for a couple of days. And we're going to work alongside other United Methodists, some that think and, uh, 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 just like us and some that are from very different parts of the country. Some of them, when they go home, will put on those, uh, those red hats that say MAGA. Others will, will, will go to home where they've got rainbow flags flying out front. But for the time we're together working alongside each other, we're going to have Jesus in common. We're going to be united by our Jesus story, by his command to love others the way he has loved us. Call me naive. Call me Pollyannish. Call me stupid optimistic. But I, I believe Jesus is still enough. I believe in the depths of my being, Jesus is still enough to hold us together. I believe Jesus is still all that matters for us to sit at the same table and call ourselves a church. And I know that point of view is not in vogue these days. I know that, uh, that there are those that, that think those forces that are dividing us as a nation should be dividing us as a church. And that's just the way it is, and we just got to accept it. But I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Because on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus had unity on his mind. He watched the man who would stick a knife in his back walk out the door. He had unity on his mind. He watched Peter, who would deny him three times, 
Say with a straight face, I will follow you anywhere. And he had unity on his mind. And he took bread. And he gave thanks for it. And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And he said, and he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we call this meal Holy Communion. Because it's about communion with, with Jesus. Because, because when, we, when we partake of, of, the, of the one loaf and the one cup, we, we, we remember that Jesus is with us. But also because it's about communion with each other. It's about remembering that, that in Christ we are one. That, that the one thing that, that unites us is present at the table. And that we can all still gather around the table because that one thing is true. Because we remember what he did for each and every one of us. Maybe that's not what you wanted to hear. Maybe you wanted me to get up and, uh, and throw down some fire for you. And tell you, your side's right and the other side's wrong and to heck with them. But whenever I'm tempted to, I remember. I remember. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.